0: Be sure to turn those in as you leave. You will not be allowed to leave the auditorium unless you turn that paper in. (laughs) Well, with all that exciting stuff behind us now, we've got a message to give. We're in a series that we're calling I Believe. And in this series, we're looking at just a few things that the Bible clearly and regularly teaches. We're looking at things that Christians believe across denominational lines. Well, you may have had a question in your mind um, over these past couple of months, and maybe the question goes like this. Lord, what would a community look like that lived out those beliefs? I mean, what would it look like for a group of people to gather together and put those beliefs into practice? Not just have them tucked away in books that get stored on a shelf, but what would a community look like that lived out those beliefs. Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the church, the community that should be living out the beliefs that we've been talking about. Then There are lots of places that we could go in the Bible, but since a couple of weeks ago we looked at Ephesians 1, I kind of was reading through Ephesians, I thought, well, no place like Ephesians 2 to do that. So take your Bibles and let's read together Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, And keep that question in mind as we read. What would a community look like that believed what we've been talking about, that believes about God and Jesus and sin and salvation and Holy Spirit? What would a community look like that didn't just believe that stuff, but lived it out? Well, here's the answer. Verse 11. Therefore remember To those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Now, let's take a few minutes to kind of walk through that and see how this new community gets built, what the problem is, and how God provides the solution in the gospel. Have you ever noticed that human beings are often divided? Have you noticed that? I mean, we divide over all kinds of stuff, we divide over sports teams, right? We're Eagles fans or filthy, creepy cowboy fans, right? And how'd they come up with that record? What the heck? And they're as young as we are younger. Maybe you're a Penn State fan. Uh, and it was a good morning, a tired morning, but it's a good morning. And maybe you're a, a Notre Dame fan. What a year you guys have had, right? Um, we divide over sports. We divide over politics, don't we? Uh, yeah, Republican, Democrat. We're still living through the uh, aftermath of that um, fiasco. And we often live divided on money. We divide on issues of personality. We divide on jobs, whether you're blue collar or white collar. We divide over almost anything you can think about. We divide over address. We divide over state. We divide over education. We divide over all kinds of stuff. Division is normal ever since Genesis 3 when sin entered the world. Well, what's the problem? What's underneath the division? Well, Paul told us in this chapter. Here's what he says. The problem is enmity. There's this dividing wall of enmity. Now, my guess is you don't use the word enmity too much these days. Enmity, in a lot of ways for us, is a euphemism, right? A word that sounds better than what it really means. You know what enmity means? Hate. There's a dividing wall of hatred between us, and it doesn't take long For you to look at people that are a little different than you and not just to say in your head they're different, pretty soon they're wrong. They're not just wrong. You despise them. And let's be honest, it doesn't take much before you hate them. And we lob verbal grenades. Actually, in some places, given some division, people lob literal grenades, don't they? Division. It's all over the place. Now, how does division happen? Well, Let me give you kind of a thumbnail sketch. We're going to come back to this in a few minutes. Let me give you a thumbnail sketch how it works. We look around at our lives. We look inside and outside. We look at things that we're good at, things that we like, things that we have, people that we know, networks that we're part of, affinities that we practice. We look at who we are, what we like, what we have, and automatically we elevate and promote who we are, what we have, how we're wired, to a higher position than people who don't have those things. But then to make ourselves feel better, we wind up crafting our identity, who we are, we craft it on the basis of the good things that we have. So it's not just that you teach for a career. Your identity is, I'm a teacher. It's not just that you're an Eagles fan. Now, part of your identity is being an Eagles fan. It's not just that you occasionally vote Democratic or Republican. Now to your core, you are a Democrat. You are right wing. And once you promote and elevate some of those things about you, you then look down on people that don't have those same things in the same way. You then begin to think you're better, not just you're better, they're worse, and you despise them. What's the case study? that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 2? It's not Democrat and Republican. It's not Eagles and Cowboy fans. It's not how much money you have. The case study is Jew and Gentile. And can I just uh, clue you in on something you may not realize? If you think the animosity and the enmity between some Democrats and Republicans these past few weeks or past few months, if you think that's horrendous, you ain't seen nothing until you've learned about Gentiles and Jews back in Paul's day, they literally hated each other. Why did they hate each other? Well, the Jews very quickly began to feel superior. And just like, just like the game we play, they took something good, right? They took God's word. They took the revelation that God gave to them, and they kind of promoted that, and they looked at the Gentiles that didn't get God's revelation. They began to think, well, we're a lot better than you are. You guys are terrible. They, they despised them. They hated them. Notice, God's original plan, he gave the revelation to the Jews so that they would be the light attracting the nations. But what the Jews did, they took that good gift of revelation and rather than seeing it as a light that attracted and built bridges to other people, they built walls of enmity and division between them. And the good gift, rather than bringing people to God, kept people from God and there was hatred on both sides. See how that works? The process is exactly the same. The particular issues may be different, but the process is the same. Division, that's the story of our world. That's the story of human beings ever since Genesis 3. That was the story of Jew and Gentile in Jesus' day, and that's the story of Democrat, Republican, sports fan, educational level, socioeconomics. That's the story of our day too. But notice, that's not the description that Jesus would like us to have. The description actually comes in terms of three pictures. They're pretty cool. At the end of the section that I read, we have the three metaphors. The three metaphors that should be in the church. The three metaphors that should characterize the people that believe those absolutes and things across denominational, lines. what should. Okay, here they go, here's the first one. Fellow citizens, fellow citizens. Now, remember, Jews were citizens of the kingdom of God. Gentiles were excluded. But what does Paul say? Even you Gentiles are now fellow citizens. Um, It shouldn't be Democrat, Republican, sports team, this. We're citizens of the United States. We share that culture and that identity in common. But even more important than our earthly citizenship, Paul says we have a heavenly citizenship where God is the king. We share that citizenship, not divided, but united as fellow citizens. Oh, it even gets more intimate. Check this one out. Members of God's household. You know what? You can be a fellow citizen and live miles and miles and miles from someone. After all, my guess is people in California, they're strange, right? They're a lot different than we are, even though we're fellow citizens. But people in the same household, people that grow up in your home, what's home? Home is where things are the way you like, actually, the things the way your wife likes them to be. (laughs) But you belong in your home, right? You got a chair, you can turn on the TV, go to the refrigerator, you can be comfortable there, you belong there. That's kind of the idea. And what Paul says is, in the community of Christ, in this thing called church, we're not just fellow citizens, we're brothers and sisters. That's that, you feel that? We're brothers and sisters. Yeah, Oh, it even gets more intimate than that. Look at the third picture. We're a building joined together that rises to become a holy temple. Now, I know the metaphor may be a little strange for us because we're not used to temples, right? But here's how it works. A temple, back in Paul's day, was a place where God dwelt. In fact, even the architecture for the biblical temple in the Old Testament, that was kind of the idea. God was symbolically present in the temple. Now, literally, God's no, God was no more present in the temple than he was outside the temple because he's omnipresent, right? It hurt your head, I know. But the temple's a picture of the place where God's presence was. If you're a, bil- if you're a stone in a building that's cemented together with the other stones and somehow God is in the midst, that's the most intimate of the pictures, isn't it? You see, Paul is increasing intensity as he goes. As I said, you can be fellow citizens in the same country and live thousands of miles from each other. If you're fellow family members, you live feet from each other. If you're stones in a building, you're smack up against each other. See how that works? The pictures, they're pictures of an intense relationship. The intensity isn't just that we have a more intense relationship with God We have a more intense relationship with each other. So we're fellow citizens, regardless of your background, regardless of those different things in your hierarchy of identity. Fellow citizens, Christ makes the difference. Our citizenship in Christ's community should be higher than all the others. We're family members, brothers and sisters, stones cemented together in a touching, up close and personal relationship inhabited by God himself Through the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't say that we live out those pictures well. I said that they're the pictures Paul gives. In fact, we're not very good at executing on the pictures. We're a whole lot better at the division part, right? Paul begins with division, but his whole point is we live in a world of division, but let me give you a description. In the midst of the division, the description is you guys should be united to each other because you're united to Jesus, and that gives us an identity that surpasses or should surpass all of the other things. When I raise is a question. Okay, we have division, we have description, and those things don't line up real well. How the heck can we get from the division to the description? Wouldn't you like to know? How can you? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul tells us. It's all about deconstruction. All about deconstruction. So here's how he puts it together, and I now explain it to you. Here's how he says it He himself, Jesus, is our peace. He made the two groups one, and here it is. He destroyed the barrier, he deconstructed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. All right, now let me show you how this works. Um, Put up the next slide. There are just a few words, descriptors, that may or may not be true of you. So here's what we got. American. Maybe that's not everybody in the room, but that's probably most of us in the room. College educated. Maybe yes, maybe no. Married. Maybe yes, maybe no. Teacher? No. What's your dress size? Everybody has one. Not probably different, though. You're a lawyer. Now, remember, if you're a lawyer, you're probably not a teacher, right? So these things won't be true of everybody, but we were just listing descriptors that are true of some of us. You have your own little list, right? Um, You have hobbies. Maybe you're Asian. What kind of car you drive? How much money you have? What kind of job you have? What's your address? You live in a certain zip code. Where you go on vacation, who your parents were, or if you are parents. You're Democratic, you're Republican. You're Christian, you have a background. You live in a big house, a little house. You're an athlete, or you're a nerd, right? You're a foodie, you're a Republican. You're black, you're white. You have interest here, interest. All different things, right? But here's what we do, remember what we do. Here's the principle. We take all of those descriptors, those things that are true of us, and let's be honest, most of the things on the list, you didn't cause. You didn't cause where you were born, did you? You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your IQ. I mean, you, you take the raw material and do some things with it, but let's be honest. The raw materials determine a whole lot more of the product than a little bit of means that we get to apply to it. So we take the gifts that God's given. We then put them into a hierarchical order. We elevate things that we think we're really good at. We want our identity to be. And pretty soon we look down on people that, that are different than us or have a different hierarchy. Let me give you a practical example. I have dinner once a month with an African-American pastor friend of mine, Byron Craig. Some of you know Byron. Occasionally I preach at Byron's church where I take a worship group there. Byron's been here. Um, And we just hang out together. We talk about ministry. We talk about politics. We talk about families. We talk about the hard life that we have. We talk about stuff like that. Um, I still remember one of the first times that I took a worship group from Calvary to Byron's church, Macedonia Baptist. I okay, guess so let, me, let me ask you a couple questions to see. How many of you have ever been to an African-American worship service? Raise your hand. All right, good, now put them down. Um, if you've ever been to an African-American worship service, let me ask you, did it start on time? No, 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 time's a little different, right? In fact, I still remember that morning, service was supposed to start at 10, so like, you know, an anal retentive white guy uh, who lives in Hatfield, service starts at 10, I show up at 9.15. There's not a single car in the parking lot. The doors are all locked. No lie. At 10 after 10, Byron's not there yet. I mean, some people are upstairs singing. The service has started. I'm sitting in his office. Somebody let me in. Well, is he okay? Did he die? Have an accident? What's going on? I still remember, so our band did, did worship, right? So, of course, we started at 10 o'clock with nobody there. The band's playing. Um, so, we, Byron and I eventually wander up, and I still remember after the band finishes and comes down, John Bryant is sitting a couple seats from me, and his cell phone rings. It's his wife, Janelle. And so, he starts chuckling to himself, puts his phone there. said, John, what's up? He said, Janelle wanted to know if I'm on my way home yet. I said, what would you tell her? He said, we didn't get to the announcements yet. <laughs> yeah, so if the service didn't start on time, it's not going to end on time either. So let me ask you all, right? Most of you kind of, you know, suburban, most of you white people. If it starts at 10, what time should it be over? 11. Here it would be 11.05. We have a 65-minute service. That gives us a little space to kind of tick you off, right? But if it starts at 10, now if you've been to an African-American worship service, if it starts at 10, what time does it end? Oh well, when everybody's done, right? What do you mean? But now, here's how it works, right? Is there anything wrong with white worship? No. Anything wrong with African-American worship? No, it's great. But isn't this what happens? Some white folks attend that African-American worship service, and it's two minutes to ten, and they're sitting in our seats, and nobody's there, it's 10.05, and people are beginning to wander in, and they do stuff like this. And after the service gets going, it's now 11.06 and they're doing this. <laughs> and they make those white people tisking sound. <laughs> Tish. Right? Right? And then it's not a long stretch from that to do this. How irresponsible. How undisciplined. They lied. They said it was starting at 10. It's got to be over at a decent hour. They lied. How unspiritual. This is unchristian. This is terrible. No wonder we have such problems in the African-American community. No wonder they have difficulty getting jobs and keeping jobs. Look at this mess. Am I joking? What do the African-American people at the service say? Why are these white people so uptight? <laughs> oh, yeah, but then it gets, How unloving can they be more interested in the numbers on their watch than they are in worshiping God and being with brothers and sisters singing and praising together. See what we do? We take something good from the list, something good. We then elevate, we prioritize and promote something good in us. We put it to the top of the list We then look down on everybody else that hasn't promoted that, but we don't just look down. We soon feel superior. We soon begin to say, well, we're good, they're bad. We're moral, they're immoral. We're right, they're wrong. See the problem? And that happens with Jew and Gentile. And that happens with blacks and whites. And that happens with Asians and Islanders. And that same thing happens with Republicans and Democrats and a solution is given us right at the end of Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what Jesus said. Paul destroys it all, right? Here's what he says in verse 17. Imagine the shock to the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus came, and he preached peace to you who were far away. Question. Who was far away? Who were they? They were the Gentiles, Far away. But notice what Paul says. Jesus came and he preached and brought peace to you Gentiles who were far away. Jesus said, "Come on in and find acceptance with God. Acceptance is one. Another. Come on in and enjoy all of this peace with God and peace with other people." He came Now that's good news, isn't it? But he's not done. Look at the next part. And he preached peace to those of you who were near. What? I don't need Jesus to preach peace. I'm living peace. I have God's law. I'm keeping God's law. I'm good. Paul would say and Jesus would say, you're not good. You're deluded. Because just as those that are far away need Jesus to bring peace to them, those of you that think you're moral and good you need jesus to bring peace to you just as much as they do in fact maybe those of us that think we're close need to hear that message more because we're tempted to trust our performance and our record more than trust the gracious gracious provision that jesus gives see how the solution comes We live in a world of division, and where does that division and enmity and hatred come from? I just showed you. We take a list of the good gifts that we have, the things that we do well, all of those things. We pick and choose a few of them that make us look good, right? We then promote and elevate that good thing to the top of the list. We then feel superior to other people that promoted something else. We then feel superior to them. We despise them. We hate them. We separate from them and divide. And Jesus comes and says, I bring peace to those of you that are far and peace to those of you that are near. That whole wall thing is completely destroyed because everybody needs the gospel that I bring, Jesus says. No one in reality is closer than anybody else. The gospel humbles us, but the gospel also constructs. There's deconstruction. All of that hierarchy that we've built is destroyed, and the gospel affirms and builds us up because Jesus is all we need to find peace with God and peace with each other. Nothing else. You've heard me say this until you're sick of hearing me say it. I just hope it sinks into you and to my heart, too. Anybody can come. At Humble, at Humble's, right? We say, anybody can come who's like me. No, no, no. Anybody can come. Everybody who comes comes exactly the same way through Jesus Christ. Those that are far away come through Jesus. Those that are near come through Jesus. The dividing wall of our little hierarchical games has been destroyed. Everybody comes through Jesus. So how does that fit with our chart? Well, here's the picture at the end. You still have a long list of really good things about you. Some of you have a Myers-Briggs profile that's like this, Others of you are really self-disciplined like that. Some of you are generous and gracious, and others of you are detail-oriented and follow through. Some of you are wealthy, and some of you not so much. Some of you have PhDs and you're highly educated. Others of you didn't graduate high school. But you know what? All of that needs to fade into the background because Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, needs to be in the foreground. And if Jesus is in the foreground... And all of that hierarchical barrier, enmity stuff that we play, if that goes to the background, we can then stand together and say, we're fellow citizens. Jesus is our king. We're brothers and sisters. Jesus is our older brother, and God is our father. We're stones built together and crafted by the Spirit, put together, cemented to each other as different as we are, But we're more alike than we are different because Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. In the midst of a world that likes to play with superficial differences that cause division, we have a substantive unity that comes because of the gospel. And we've got the responsibility in this divided culture to live that out, friends. And the darker the night, the brighter the light. Let's stand and pray. Father, we give you thanks for giving us your word, and we thank you that behind that word stands the reality of division caused by sin, but unity brought about by Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that they just wouldn't be concepts that we talk about. They would be beliefs that are rooted in our heads and in our hearts, and may they be realities that are lived out in our relationships with each other. And Lord, may we have something to show and something attractive to live out in the midst of a world of division. We've got unity, true unity, among people that are radically different. But with Jesus as our cornerstone, we've got a lot more in common than we have different. We pray in his name.